Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. I will open the lines in the second half of the show so that you can ask questions or make a comment. However, if you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, you can sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. Following the show, you can continue this discussion on AfterGenius.com and Research at the National Archives and Beyond Facebook page. In fact, please like both pages. Also, if you notice when you went into Blog Talk Radio, they had a little button that you could push follow. If you want to receive notices about the show every week, please push follow and you will automatically get a notice about the show. Well, I want to read something to you. And it's from the online uh, military history. And it's from an article called Fighting for Respect, African-American Soldiers in World War I by Jamie Bryan, the managing editor, on point. As the people of the United States watch World War I ignite across Europe, African-American citizens saw an opportunity to win the respect of their white neighbors. America was a segregated society and African-Americans were considered, at best, second-class citizens. Yet, despite that, there were many African-American men willing to serve in the nation's military. But even as it became apparent that the United States would enter the war in Europe, blacks were still being turned away from military service. Now, did you know that about the African-American 371st Infantry of World War I that fought in France? Well, tonight's show, which is part of the Memorial Day celebration, will focus on the African-Americans in World War I, with a special emphasis on the 371st Infantry. My guests for tonight are Sonia, Aura Hodges, Grantham, and Douglas Colbert. 
and they will discuss the role played by African, the African-American regiment and honor the memory of the dedicated soldiers. Sonia Hodges-Grantham is a mother, grandmother, genealogist, author, graver, historian, and researcher with a motto of get the job done and get it done right. I love that motto. She is the founder and president of the World War I 371st Historical Society. She is also the founder of Cornbread Jubilee, an annual event that is held in honor of the corn crop, and co-founder of the Veterans Formation in 1993 in Columbia, South Carolina. She is a sole restorer courier of Child's Cemetery, South Carolina, and has authored two books. Douglas Colbert is a researcher from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he has traced both sides of his family through slavery in Edgefield, South Carolina. He also traced two uncles on both sides of his family that served with the 371st. Both died after the war from illnesses received in battle. So let me give a warm welcome to Sonia Hodges-Grantham and Doug Colbert to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Sonia. Welcome, Doug. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, and I am really, truly looking forward to this show. So let's just start off by having you both share a little more about yourself and how did you specifically become interested in African Americans and the role that they played in World War One? Sonia, you want to start off? Yes. Well, at a young age, my mother always told me that her father served during the World First World War, and it was a photo of him in a that he took in a barn that that was located at his uh, sister's home, Mrs. Edith Milligan Brown. And while the barn had caught a fire one day, they were able to snap the photo. However, the photo it has exchanged hands many times. And in school, when I was in the third grade, I remember one paragraph about the 371st, and it had a photo of General Dozier, who my brother was employed with part-time. And so later in 2008, I made a trip to Baltimore, Maryland, for a continuing education class. And a friend of mine told me that I needed to have a family reunion. However, I like to have different things, something that would really stand out. So I knew my grandfather was buried in the child cemetery, and I wanted to go and see if I could find his headstone, if it was still there, because the cemetery had been kept up, but it was no burials for more than 50 years. So my son and I, we took a tour that was in July of uh, 2009, and um, it was a few of the original headstones, but not his headstone. So uh, what I did, I started doing more research on the regiment and come to find out 
where you might not think I would have received a phone call. I received a phone call from the curator, the museum curator, Mr. Joe Long, and he's the curator of the Confederate Relic Room and Military History Museum, and told me how famous the unit was. And people, some people find that strange because it's yes. coming from the Confederate Relic Room, but that's where they retired the flag on February 29, 1919. And if you happen to visit the Confederate Relic Room and Military Museum, our flag, the flag to the regiment, is there, along with the history of the regiment. And he has been a great supporter and a friend, and so has Joe Wilson and Senator Glenn McConnell, who's our present lieutenant governor. He even made arrangements for me to receive a pocket reach from the Royal British Legion. So as a quest to locate my grandfather's grave, it has led to so many things. Okay, well, we want to hear more about that. Wow, interesting. That well, first of all, that you learned that about your the role of your grand that your grandfather played in what you said third grade. Yes, and it was just a small paragraph because that's all I got on World War One from the third grade all the way through high school, and I got I received a little more in college. But it's been the hands-on experience, thanks to, like I said, Mr. Joe Long. I'm just telling the truth just like it is at the okay. Relic Room. Right. And what about you, Doug? When did well, you good become good interested? Good evening, ladies. First, I'd like to good say evening. it's just a pleasure to be on this show with Miss Tanya. Uh, uh, she's, I call her the angel of the, of the 371st infantry. But, uh, <laughs> I'm a, a Vietnam veteran, and, uh, really started piquing my interest was, was when I came home from Vietnam, I would watch the news, and I would notice there were very few scenes with, with African Americans which I thought was strange because everywhere I went in Vietnam, which was from the coast all the way up in the Central Highlands, all I saw was a bunch of uh, African Americans, you know, as well as, uh, Europe well as uh, European Americans. But anyway, uh, that sort of uh, uh, planted a seed in my head, I believe, because later on I started getting interested in and uh, military history, and, and uh, with my family research, I researched my family in World War II, and, and by the way, uh, uh, it was those World War II veterans that I used to speak to in barbershops that uh, really planted seeds of uh, military history in, in my head. But at any rate, while searching, while visiting Hitchfield, South Carolina, doing research, I walked past the uh, court, courtyard, and there, right on the courtyard, was a plaque. And it had uh, soldiers from Eggfield who lost their lives in World War II. And back then, they were, were broken down in colored and white. And there was more colored soldiers killed than white. 
Now, I, my Aunt Berta, here in Philadelphia, who in her later years I used to take to the bank every every month where she would cash her husband's, her late husband's pension check. And as a youngster, I remember, I recall her telling me that he died as a result of being gassed in World War One. Well, when I when I was in Eggfield, I went to the uh, library there, and I found a book of uh, of South Carolina soldiers who served in World War One. And there was my there was my aunt's husband Willie Glover, right there with the soldiers, and and it, and I found the unit that he served with. I just took off. And with further uh, information, I remembered my great grandmother telling me when I was a kid that one of her sons was buried in a in a National Cemetery, and and uh, and again, now I'm really thinking uh, about it. And here's here's an uh, embarrassing story for you. That it was embarrassing, but it, it really uh, inspired me later on. My aunt's sister here in Philadelphia, my grandmother's sister, had a friend, Mr. T. Mr. T had a card in his wallet where he could go to the baseball games for free. Me being a baseball fan, I was so, and I thought that card was so special that he can get, that he was allowed to go to a ball game free. I didn't even notice, I didn't pay much attention that he was a World War I veteran. Uh -huh. And at uh, any rate, uh, 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 the, the last part of it, uh, uh, up, bringing up to date, after I met uh, Miss Sonia, and and it really got me. Oh, my 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 aunt's husband Willie Glover is buried in Columbia, South Carolina, where Sister Miss Sonia is located. But I wanted to find my grandfather's brother on my now. And Bert is on my on my on my father's side through my grandmother, and and uh, my grandfather's brother on, on my father's side through my grandfather was also served. He also served. Well, I just close by saying this portion by saying because of Miss Sonia, I located his grave in Chicago, and uh, I just want to thank her for for. Uh, yeah, bringing this back to me. Okay, so we both both of you uh, knew of relatives that served in World War One, and I just want the the listeners to know that it was because of Douglas Colbert that I was able to also find relatives who served in the three seventy first, and so. Uh, the reason this show is even broadcasting is because we need to teach each other, and each one will teach one. So this is information that we will gain tonight that you can share with others 
so that others can start looking up their own ancestors, looking beyond the World War I draft registration cards of which we are able to see. But then what happened to those men and did they actually serve? Now, Sonia, there's a question already coming out uh, to you from the chat. And it relates to you mentioning that you received a call from the Confederate Museum. And so the question is, and I will state it exactly as it has been written, why in the world, or rather, how in the world would the flag of a black regiment be there? And could you please tell us more about that museum? And indeed, how is the flag at that location? Well, what happened was um, on February 29, 1919, that's when they had a mass reception at Allen University, and it was two civic leaders. Uh, one was Mr. Connell Alvin Johnson, his brother Mr. Willie C. Johnson, and Charles Johnson. They served during World War One, and. Mr. Willis C. Johnson, he became the owner of Johnson's funeral home. So they got together with citizens in the black and the white community to have a reception for these soldiers, and they collected money and everything. They were even welcomed home by the governor. And when they got there, since that was the military museum as well as the Confederate relic room, that's where they retired the flag. And they not only have, you know, um, the Civil War where everybody might think that it's only, you know, Confederate flags. I'm a believer in I just don't take what someone tells me. I have to investigate and find out if it's true. So I went after the phone call that I received from Mr. Long, and I went to see what for myself, and it was on billboards around town that it was in the Confederate Relic Room and the, and the Military Museum. And there was a flag. It was, it's a lot, it's a huge flag, and it's the original flag, the original flag of the, uh, 371st. And what he told me, it was his job to teach the true history. And if you look at all his sightings and all the sightings and comments from the Confederate, you would see nothing negative. They have the World War II as well. It starts from the Revolutionary War all up until the present day. And he goes around teaching this history on this black regiment, not only once a year, it's all year long. May I make a comment on, on that? to add to Ms. Sonia? Go ahead, Douglas. Now, also, uh, it, it should be noted that the officers of that unit were white. And yes. matter of fact, matter of fact, they had a reunion, and Ms. Sonia can tell you about that, in Spartanburg about 10 years after the war with the white officers and the black soldiers. And, and there right. are newspaper accounts are loaded through Eggfield and the area where these white officers would, would uh, stand up for these black veterans at, at times of uh, stress. And the, the other thing I would like to add is when they came home for the first time in Southern history, 
white folks were on the sidelines when they marched through Columbia cheering these black soldiers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so was the governor. Okay, so let's let's go back and let's talk about World War One. Uh, Sonia, just bring us up to date on World War One and the fact that the blacks were initially not even in the being recruited. Give us some just some military history, and then once we talk about military history, I do have another question about the images on this flag. But I want you to put us in the frame of mind of what was going on in the United States as well as in the world before World War One and during World War One, and how this whole unit came about. Well, the whole unit came about um, in the beginning. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson he tried to do everything to keep us out of the war. And it, it began 1914, but we didn't enter the war to about 1917, between 1916 and 1917. And we all know Woodrow Wilson, he was a segregationist. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but that's what he was. So he really didn't even, just the thought of recruiting black soldiers, you know, for war, because the only education they could receive, if any, was maybe up to a seventh grade education, not beyond that. Many of them were farmers, and many of them were not able to read and write. My grandfather could not read and write either, and that was mm -hmm. the story for many of them. So when they, uh, it was teen Let's see, around 1916, Major Kilburn, he was ordered by the, uh, by the Army, by the U.S. War Department, to come to the southern states and select a site where they could train soldiers for World War I. And uh, the first set of soldiers to arrive at Camp Jackson they were not from the state of South Carolina. It was a few, maybe about 15, no more than 20, that arrived from the state of Florida, from Pensacola, Florida. And then by October of 1917, that's when we started to get the uh, men that were drafted from South Carolina. Now, while the Harlem Hellfighters is the most celebrated unit that it is, the 371st is distinguished all within itself because they were the only black regiment from the South. It was an all-black regiment that consisted of all white officers. And what happened was with all the soldiers uh, being black, they had segregated quarters. It's a map from 1917 that shows the, where the black soldiers resided and the white soldiers. And it was a, a delay in the cotton crop of 1917, and that was another reason why that uh, our recruits from South Carolina were late in arriving. Right. But when they and got I, there, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, and um, 
it's a postcard called the main road to Camp Jackson. The main road today is Jackson Boulevard. And it also, with the Camp Jackson opening, it was a reservation and part of the Hampton Plantation. And so the Hampton family was broke after the Civil War. And Camp Jackson was located six miles outside the city of Columbia. And that was a perfect training spot because of the woods and, you know, once being an agriculture section of the state, it would be the perfect spot to train soldiers for overseas. And it brought in, oh, employment by the thousands. And it, they had big newspaper ads of wanted Negroes to work at Camp Jackson, South Carolina, wages $3.39 a week. And do you have that announcement? <laughs> I know you collect yes, many artifacts. You do. Oh, yes. I have quite a ton of yes. announcements. <laughs> yes. Right, which is quite interesting. So basically the War Department planners quickly realized that they needed more soldiers. And oh, yes. so as and you said, they recruited, they recruited the soldiers from the South. Now I said something and I read something and perhaps you can tell me whether uh, verify this, that for the black soldiers, they would tell them, kind of turn up uh, the, the registration card so that you would know they were black. And in some some recruitment places, they would simply uh, deny them uh, enlistment. But in others, they more than happily recruited as many blacks as they could. I mean, is that is that a true story? Yes, and I found a lot of articles in the state of Georgia where that was very big because, um, you know, as we go into the late 1900s, 1915, wars going on in Europe, then the ship is sharecropping is still the way of life for most black families, and they can't get out of this trap that they it, it just becomes a system of legalized slavery all over again and mistreatment. So what happened, you have a big migration to the north, to Chicago, Pennsylvania, Detroit, and Ohio, failing cotton crops and because of this discrimination and segregation. So when the recruiters came in, that was one of the mass, one of the, largest masses that I call a great exodus to mm -hmm. other states that would forever change the course of history in America and also the black soldiers going overseas because they would be the first to fight on foreign soil. They would be the first to be exposed to weapons of mass destruction, just everything. But they would come out as heroes as from heroes. South Carolina. Right. Well, you you had a group of people who were certainly uh, committed uh, to yes. serve the country and to show that they were capable of of uh, providing uh, the military uh, service that they were hired to do. Well, talk, tell us more about how the soldiers were were trained and treated uh, domestically before we go abroad and. When did this whole move to France, go to France issue come up? Well, they uh, after they were trained, the um, 
the regiment, the 371st Infantry Regiment, they were called the 371st Infantry Regiment, 93rd Division Colors. And if you remove the word colors, then it's not right, because World War II also had a 371st, but it was a smaller unit from various places, not only from the South. And after they trained at Camp Jackson, um, they were sent to the Western Front, and over there that they were um, placed under the French command because the French, they were in desperate need of truth. They have been, you know, mixing of races was nothing new to them. And so um, they were, they had to give up, you know, their Springfield rifles for the French rifles. They had to be trained, you know, um, to speak the French language, to eat French foods and everything. But when they relieved the, uh, the French army, oh my goodness, you're talking about taking care of business. <laughs> they took care of business here yeah, because the Germans were afraid. They were looking for the tails. It was no tails. It was just total war, and they took care of business. Well, that is wonderful to hear. Uh, for some of you, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm in a strange uh, weather pattern right now, and so electricity just went off. It just came back on again. Hope we didn't lose any any part of what Sonia was just saying. Uh, but it, it okay. So Sonia, I did lose some of what you just said and, and heard just the, the little bit of it. But let's just continue talking about it. So you said something about what happened in France. So how did the group end up in France? They um they were they ended up in France because the French were losing oh my goodness thousands of troops by the day, and then the United States they did all they could. But when the uh, U.S. helped me out, Douglas, the Lusitania ship was sunk by the Germans. That's right. That's what sent us to France. Am I correct? You correct? Yes. And um, they were the, the French, like I said, they were grateful because they knew these black men wanted to fight and they were able to hold the German line. And so when they were thrown in in the final offensive of the Great War, that was that happened during September nineteen eighteen and more than half of the unit was lost in eight days, but they were so brave. I mean, they took their own rifles and shot down German airplanes. They took Germans as prisoners. They took the farm. <laughs> they took the train depot. They just captured everything. Yes, so the French people, they were so, so glad to have them, and they decorated them. Um, on January of uh, January 27th, night. Now, Sonia, I understand though that when the unit arrived in France, that the weapons that they were given in the United States were taken away from them, and they were actually put under uh, French leadership. Tell us more about that. Okay, uh, Doug, can you tell us more about that? 
In fact, we're going to take a quick break because Sonia's line also dropped. So let me call Sonia back and we're going to take a quick break and come back on. Alrighty. But the French 
needed soldiers. And like and like uh, Sandra mentioned, the French wasn't uh, uh babies wasn't uh, uh, unfamiliar with fighting with black troops. They had uh, African soldiers from their colonies also fighting there. But our troops uh, was accepted right away by the French army. And like, like uh, Sandra mentioned, they were given uh, French helmets, French uh, uh, rifles, and, uh, and cetera. And, uh, and they fought day by day with, with the French. As a matter of fact, the flag, one of the artifacts on the flag that uh, the people can go see, they see a red hand, uh, uh, a red hand just open. And uh, they call it, the, the French unit was called the Red Hand Division because of all the bloody battles they were in. And that, and that, and that, uh, uh, in, that insignia was worn by our black troops. The French gave that to them. And as Sandra mentioned, they were heavily decorated by the French. Matter of fact, the French built a monument to the 371st. And on that monument, they list the dates of every battle, uh, how many, they list, they, uh, uh, list the unit, the dates, and the locations of every battle they were in. Both Sonia and I are blessed to have coins, uh, uh, metal coins that were given to each soldier by the by France that was that was minted in France uh, and on the coins they have the units the 371st with, with each uh, date of the battles they also have a, a scene of, a, of South Carolina on one side of the coin these men were given uh, uh, medals uh, so many, so many, they, the, the highest, the highest medals that France gave out were given to these men. And, uh, and to show, just to, to, to show why it's so important, uh, Ms. Bernice, what you're doing, I, I, I'll tell you a story, and I know Sonia have many stories like this. I was talking to a group of soldiers, I'm sorry, a group of veterans at an event, and I mentioned the 371st and how they were from South Carolina. And the next day, uh, uh, one of the vets left a plaque for me at my church. He just left it with a note, uh, let Doug see this. It was a plaque that was made by, the, by France and given to this gentleman's father who served with the, with the 371st. And it was only, he had no idea what it was until I mentioned the 371st fighting in France. And when I started sitting there with, with, uh, at my church with my name on it, oh my, I got so nervous. I said, oh my God, I can't, I can't, have, uh, walk around with this. So I called him up right away, got his address. I said, look man, I'm bringing this right back to you because this can't be lost. But, uh, it just illustrates 
why we must pass this information on because we, you have listeners out there who have, particularly if they're from South Carolina, New York, Massachusetts, or whatever, who have ancestors that went over in France and, and forth, and the people over in France know more about them than we do over here. Amen. Yes, and, and that's, and, you know, that, that is a concern because why don't we know about the role that the African Americans played in the three seven, I mean, in France, in World War One. I. I mean, this, it, is this just the the best kept secret around? But we, we're just not talking about it. Uh, well, uh, Sonia can can tell you uh, uh, about this. One of the things that happened in the South, and and please let Sonia uh, 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 dwell into this one. One of the things I learned. You had an element of people in the South who, when they found what, like, like China said, how they took their business over there killing those Germans, wanted to put these blacks in their place. You know, it was, oh, you was over there killing white folks, but you back here now, boy. And, uh, and, and there was a lot of pressure placed upon these black soldiers when they came home by some elements, some elements of people from the South. And, and uh, as a result, I believe uh, this is how a lot of this history, history was lost through family stories because a lot of these men just didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and there, there's a question coming out, or at least a comment coming out of the um, chat room that confirms what you just said. The soldiers had to be quiet. About their accomplishments, just like the Civil War soldiers. They didn't right. say a whole lot. As you said, they wanted to put them back in their place. Right. Uh, it, it, it's just something, and another comment is just saying they were, they were being too uppity. And right. being too uppity back in Jim Crow days meant <laughs> you might get killed, lynched, right. what have you. And so, right. the, but, but it's time for us to start telling the story. And, Sonia, you know, I applaud you because you're a one-woman show, but you're out there and you're getting the word out. So tell us more about the 371st Historical Society that you uh, established and what you have been doing to try to educate people about the 371st. Well, um, I used to. Up until 2011, I would have a... Uh, a reunion with the descendants. However, we live and we learn in the business world. <laughs> and it's nonprofit, but I had a bad experience. So what I've been doing, I continue to restore the cemetery and to document and identify the not only the World War One soldiers in the child cemetery, but also you have your Korean War veterans, you have the black Confederate soldiers, and you have World War II veterans. So I've continued to document, collect histories and legends on these soldiers. And I can tell you that I have about 200,000 biographies, short, brief biographies, on the soldiers of South Carolina both black and white, I can tell you when they entered the Army, what they did, what medals were earned, 
and if they were married and uh, historic ones like Corporal Freddie Sowers, he was killed on, um, he was killed, I believe that was September 28th, just six weeks um, before the war came to an end. Uh, he was from Sandy Springs, and he was a corporal, a member of the 371st, and um, the Germans faked that they were going to surrender, and they opened up the machine gun fire, mortally wounding him and half of the men of the 371st. But however, um, in 1988, it was several members of Congress and Republicans, the majority of them, they began to campaign on behalf of the um, black soldiers of World War I because they said that they had not been properly recognized. So um, 70 years later, uh, in 1991, that was when President George George Bush um, presented the Medal of Honor to of um, Corporal Stowers' sisters. Yes. Oh, yes, I remember this. I remember when this happened. And so are you, uh, I mean, I know you're, you're talking on this show, but are you also uh, going around giving talks and, and you're in the newspaper? How are people finding out about the 371st from you? Well, they call for information on obtaining um, presidential memorials, the headstones, the uh, the U.S. flags, uh, replical flags of the 371st. I have a few left and a few books. And right now, I've collected about five to six hundred death certificates, voting records, because I I was trying to follow them through what they were doing once they got back home. And I see that uh, it was this gentleman, he fought during World War One. His name was uh, John Louth Glenn, uh, Glenn. He was a federal judge, and he was born in Chester, South Carolina. He was a graduate of uh, Wofford College, extremely intelligent. But later he would serve um, in the Hoover administration and are under President Hoover. But he was the, what I found out about him and my grandfather were born the same day, same year, April 9th, 1892. Okay, my grandmother, she started civil litigation against the United States government after his death in 1923. But he, he, he was the presiding judge over the case. And on the sixth anniversary, his and Judge Glenn, Judge, let's see, John Lyles Glenn, his birthday and my late grandfather's birthday, he awarded my grandmother the $5,000 in this case. And the next year, it was on April 8, 1932, it was this gentleman, Joe Goodwin, he had served in the 371st, and he was wounded. Um, he lost his right leg, and he got shot in the arm. He could not read and write, and he uh, he bought it in a federal case. He had a $5,000 policy, but the policy had left, and Judge uh, John Lyle Glenn, he still awarded him 
He gave him $4,686.25 in cash, and that was the back payment. And then he received a cash pension of $28.75 for 240 months. So while this judge was from the South and educated at Wofford, he was still an advocate for his comrades. Still. Okay. Even though and he was black and they were white, he did not let the race card get in the way of them receiving what he thought was theirs. Yes. Can I and comment on that? Go ahead on. Miss uh, Sonia is just being too too nice about that story. Uh, it, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a revelation recently of how the VA has was and is still treating Vietnam vets. Oh, yeah. Your grandmother. Was that your mother or your grandmother? Sonia? My grandmother. Her My grandmother. grandmother. Her grandmother. Stood up, stood up, and filed litigation for her deceased husband, who she knew died of wounds as a result of being in the war. As a result of her grandmother's litigation, I think soldiers from black soldiers from World War One were able to get pensions as a result of her grandmother standing up and and are going to court. Now, the the thing about the judge that she mentioned, uh, he also the judge served in World War One in Europe. The judge knew personally of how these black soldiers fought during the war. My who, who I mentioned I used to, to uh, take to the bank and uh, have her check cash was from Columbia, South Carolina. There's no doubt in my mind that, and oh, by the way, her husband died in, in the 30s after, after Sandy's grandmother uh, took, took uh, 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 went to court to fight for her husband. When, when that litigation was over, my aunt lost her husband, and she received a lifetime pension as a result of Sonia's grandmother's efforts. Now, to show how important it was, the uncle who was buried in Chicago died five years after the war. He didn't get a pension uh -huh. because at that time no one stood up. So Sonia DNA is full of fighters. <laughs> well, Sonia, I am just amazed, and it is wonderful to hear that it was your grandmother that led the fight and made a difference for so many of the African Americans who fought in World War One. Now, there's a comment coming out. Uh, from True, she said her family is African-American with four generations of firstborn serving. And they have all had challenges since World War II till now. And so the challenges continue. I mean, the struggles continue with individuals trying to get 
those pensions. I mean, I, I reviewed the Civil War widow's pensions and the invalid pensions all the time, and I can see the struggles that people go through just to get what they are due. And so to, to think that you can talk about your grandmother and know what she has done, but, Sonia, you've taken it one step further because you are now trying to educate us to get us to understand and to honor these World War I soldiers. Uh, you, are, you are to be commended for that. Now, Sonia, I have a question for you. And I'd like to know, first of all, you mentioned the flag, and I know that you were able to get a tombstone for your grandfather, Sanko Thompson. Tell us more about uh, that process uh, that you went through to get the tombstone. And then tell us about those who have, will, will find, and I'm hoping that people will go and look to determine if their ancestors served in the World War I and what unit, how can they also turn around and get some type of recognition or a copy of the flag that you, you mentioned, you, you, that they are replicas of the flag? Well, the flag can be ordered at, uh, like I said, the Confederate uh, Relic Room and Military Museum that you can get them in the small, medium, or large, and they're about $3, um, but if you buy them in bulk, it's more economical. And so I was given at least two of them, so I have two, and I'm saving them for my grandchildren, my grandsons because I plan to have more. And also uh, told the young lady in, let's see, deep in the District of Columbia that I was restoring this cemetery for World War I veterans, not only in the child cemetery, but in other cemeteries. And she told me to complete the application and send proof that they had served. So I went and I retrieved the records. And she was so astonished at what I was doing, so I have a direct link. If I need a headstone, it takes about three to four weeks instead of two months, like it normally takes. But uh, you can apply. You can go to uh, www.va.gov, and you can retrieve the form. And I also have forms for uh, descendants to obtain uh the U.S. flag, and headstone replacements. So some veterans did receive headstones, but if they're damaged or full of mold, you can ask for a replacement. You just have to take a photograph to show that the tombstone is damaged, and it cannot, it's not replaceable. But everything, and it doesn't matter where you are located, they will send it free of charge. They pay the shipping and handling. If you send it to a private cemetery, you have to pay someone to install it. But if you send it to a national cemetery or the remains from a cremation, then um, it's buried. It's laid free of charge. Okay. Well, area code 517, I've opened the lines, and you have a question. And if you're on your computer, please lower your sound so that we don't get uh, feedback. So that's area code 517. You're live. Do you have a question or a comment?
Okay, uh, apparently they don't have a question. I'll try one more time just to see, but area code 517. Yes. Do you have a question? Yes, go yes, ahead. I do, um, um, Bernice. Um, I'd like to first know about the name of the two books that Mrs. Hodges has written. Also, the book that um, Mr. Corbett went to the Tompkins Library and found out about um, his relatives. And I'd also like to know if she's done any research on the soldiers that were killed in France and um, the mother's pilgrimage that went over there for the ceremony. Okay, thank you. you All right, have thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh-huh. Okay, no. you have several questions. Uh, let's start with the, the book that you found at the Tompkins Library with the listing of the names of the soldiers. What is the name of that book, uh, Doug? Okay, that, that book is the... Uh, uh, the South Carolina uh, World, uh, the, the South Carolina World War Two. So soldiers of oh, World, World War One from South Carolina, and it's broken down into two sections, white and, and black. And uh, and uh, uh, I'm going to give it to Sonia, but I just passed along to the young lady that she can go online and Google. The uh, Emmett Scott book by the title of African American Negro Combat Troops. I'm sorry, African American Troops in World War One in the World War. Now she won a, a a great book on the 371st. That's the Negro Combat Troops in the World War. And uh and uh and uh, now I'm gonna give it to give it to Sonia so she can tell you about her books. Okay, um, I, I have a copy of, uh, the South Carolina roster of soldiers, sailors, and Marines, uh, in World War One, And it's broken down, like, uh, Douglas said, in the black and the white sections. And also I've written two books. Um, one is called Reclaiming Child Cemetery, Volume 1 and 2. And then the other is Remembering the 371st and the Invisible Heroes of World War One from South Carolina. All right. Would you repeat the second uh, book, please? It's Reclaiming Child Cemetery, Volume 2. Because the cemetery is where I got started in researching the soldiers, and also the cemetery was owned by the one of the generals, one of the commanding generals, William Child Westmoreland. His grandfather owned the land, which consisted of 13,000 acres at one time, and the cemetery consists of 2,000 acres. So we voted to just keep the name of the cemetery as Child Cemetery because some of his descendants, his um, uncle, fought during World War One. Okay, and then uh, Angela Walton Raji uh, posted um, a blog, and it's called the African American Gold Star Mothers. And she learned today that Ancestry.com has a database of the mother's pilgrimages 
to France, and she found uh, her great-grandmother's name on the database this evening. Oh, that's, and, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. Are you aware of any of the women in South Carolina who participated in the pilgrimage to France? Well, not as of not as of today because um I'm every day I meet someone new but with um Congressman Joe Wilson, he's another supporter. He on during uh the week the weekend of Memorial Day before they convened for the Memorial Day holiday, he read a resolution. He wrote and read a resolution on the U.S. Uh, floor of the House of Representatives in memory of the unit, and I have that um, as artifact, archived right now. Right. And every soldier that died in France, it, their name is on the marker, some of them you will find the death certificate, but a lot of them you won't because they are overseas. They are buried overseas. Yes, yes. Angela mentions that she has images of the gold star mothers who were black who went to France. Oh, so, great. Yes, so this is a blog that everyone uh, uh, should definitely read because it is quite interesting to see the photo of these mothers going uh, to on this pilgrimage to France. Sonia, um, do you have any additional information that we need to know and understand about the 371st or how we would even begin to start researching the role our ancestors played in World War One? Well, you can Google um, the 371st. Infantry Regiment, 93rd Division, colored in World War One or the Great War, and you can Google the uh, World War One Historical Society for additional information. Now, yes, and you can also whatever state you live in, you can visit the National Guard um, that they have there your local libraries, and your local historical societies. Okay, okay. So I, I know that you have collected some artifacts. You did mention, and Doug also said, that you all had the 374st coin. But what other artifacts that do you have, and where are they? I have um, a lot of my stuff is, is donated because when people first began to see the article uh, that they ran in 2009, they started meeting me, and I would tell them, okay, meet me at the Dorans Veterans Hospital. And one of them was uh, General Wade Hampton's great-grandson. He Great-great-grandson, he gave me the coin, and he was telling me, you know, um, about the regiment and all. And then another lady, she donated me the original book by Emmett J. Scott. I mean, it's so old till it's falling apart, but it's the original book. Mm-hmm. Also, I have some of them here in my house, and some of them are stored in, safe, in a safe place. I also have a flag from France with uh, the red hand, the 100 uh, 
the 100, fighting, excuse me, the 157, fighting the Red Hand Division. Mm -hmm. And what about the helmet? Do you have the original yes. helmet that the soldiers Yes, wore? one of them. Mm-hmm. It's old and rusted, but I don't want to sandblast it because I don't want to take away the originality of nothing. Exactly. So I leave yeah. everything just like it is. And yeah. I had a, a, an elderly lady of German descent. She wants to give me a coat from World War One, so I had to find out whether it would be offensive if I took the coat <laughs> from her. But it was the original coat. So once I the original German German uniform is that what you're yes. saying? Yes, she okay. wanted to donate it to me, and um, she asked, "Would I get offended or anything? I mean, to find out or would I be offended?" So she wanted to apologize for the sins of her grandfather. She said, "Wow, wow, that that is something." Now, there's a, a comment that says, please donate the items to a facility where the community can appreciate it. Have you uh, identified such a facility in South Carolina where those items can be donated? Yes. Um, the sad thing is the historically black colleges, we don't uh, receive a response. I mean, we... I wanted to donate a book, uh, wanted a, a book to Allen University. No response. I mean, it's been four and a half years now, no response. Uh, when we have celebrations, there's still no response from either of the historically black colleges in Columbia. So we just distance ourselves. But um, the University of South Carolina, that's probably where they will and uh, in their museum because I, a friend of mine and I, we are making a quilt with all the soldiers from World War One from South Carolina in it, and we completed one section. Now we are getting ready to complete the white soldiers. Wow. But I have a, 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 another comment coming out. It's really a question. Can you Speak to the 80 black commissioned officers who served in the black units. Is there any information you can share with us about them? Uh, I have a listing of where they, um, the ones that were still alive, they met here in downtown Columbia at the Jefferson Hotel. And the most distinguished thing about it, that was 1927, and you know the Jefferson Motel, that was a white motel, but still yet, um, it was this black soldier. He was, he was a sergeant, and he was from Greenville, I want to say, because I'm not looking at my notes, <laughs> but he was from Greenville, South Carolina, and I have um, where he was at the hotel. Then they went to Ridgewood, this little suburb outside of downtown Columbia, and they met there. So I have a listing of all the officers. I have a listing of the program, how it was in 1929 in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yeah. And how they had their reunion. But I have a ton of newspaper articles that list everybody that, that was in attendance and um, the officers that served the 371st.
Mm-hmm. Now, is there a war museum uh, for South Carolina? A World War One war museum? Or just a, yeah, all war museum, period. Uh, for South Carolina, um, mm -hmm. they have, well, like I said, you can go to, um, let's see, the National Guard. They have the cannons. They have everything from the Revolutionary War to the present day war. And mm -hmm. then it, they have several historical societies that have displays and museums, and then some items are kept in the local libraries in a vault because the things I have, some of them are so large, the exhibits cannot uh, be placed in a car. So I just have to act somewhere, place them somewhere where I know they're going to be safe. Right. Well, there's a comment or a recommendation coming out of the chat that you can contact Dr. Firmer at the South Carolinian Library about donating. South Carolina Library, yes. Uh, Dr. Henry Fulmer, he and Jeff Bilderbach, they're the curators, and um, they retrieve things for me. Right. Also, mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, the, the new African, uh, National African American Museum in uh, Washington, D.C., would perhaps be a wonderful place uh, for that flag, that flag that you mentioned, as well as for some of the other artifacts so that the entire world uh, can see uh, those items. Now, there's another question coming out of the chat, and it's, uh, have you checked any other information about the units through the American Red Cross? Oh, yes. Cause, um the American Red Cross, I have photos of the black nurses from um, Louisiana that served in the Red Cross. I have, a, like I said, I have a ton of photos <laughs> of the Red Cross. Um, uh, Judge John Lyle Glenn, he was an ambulance driver um, in France as well. So I have his photographs and I have a lot of things from Wofford College and on the home front, what they were doing. And I'm going to have a replica of a uniform that the uh, young ladies wore, the nurses, at the Red Cross during World War One. Right. And they, as, as a uh, family tree girl is coming out saying, they have a, they are, the Red Cross is a huge holder of, of records. And oh, another yes. resource. Mm-hmm. Another resource. They, uh, I was at Fort Jackson uh, serving. It was a paid position via the state of Maryland. I was chairwoman of the uh, American Red Cross Armed Force Services at Fort Jackson until they, um, till the young lady came back from her tour of duty. But it was my job to train them to train the volunteers, but what I ended up doing was dual roles because I was doing social work services too. Yes, yes. Well, you certainly have provided us and Doug, you too, with just some invaluable information for us. And I hope that all of the listeners will go back, 
look at their ancestors, look at where they served, find additional information about them. Uh, one of the things I'd like to just share with everyone is that Sonia is a great resource. Because I called Sonia to, to tell her about my ancestor from Louisiana who served in the Pioneer Infantry. And she could look up information and tell me everything I wanted to know. And then she went on to tell me about my, my great uncle who was in the, I had two of them who were in the 371st and, and another one who was hospitalized. So the information is there. She is a wonderful resource for us uh, to tap into. And I'm just so grateful, Sonia, that you have come on tonight to share with us your knowledge. And Doug, again, thank you so much. Uh, and I have a comment coming out. During the war, the four regular Army units did not serve in France, the 24th and the 25th Infantry and the 9th and 10th Cal Cavalry did not serve in France. The That's ninth were sent to yeah. the Philippines, mm -hmm. and the 10th and the 25th were on the, the Texas border. That is correct. Uh, yes. There's uh -huh. also, I mean, it was just great because I'm seeing these comments. The Family Tree Girl uh, mentioned that her grandfather was with the 809th, and they went to France as well. And so it's, it's just a conversation that I would just love us to keep talking about. This is well, Memorial Day. Let's remember all of our veterans. All yeah, about the, the lady who, 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 uh, served with the 809th, remember that these guys were getting shot up and wounded in such large numbers that they would take men, men came from other units to serve yeah. with the, with the 371st. So, but he, so even though her ancestor may, records may show the 809th, if she do further research, she may find him in the 371st. And some of the 371st, they went over to help the Harlem Hellfighters because when I researched my grandfather's records, he was with Company M of the 369th as well. But this is his home, and this is where it all got started. So it's just a duty and a privilege and an honor to see that these men are recognized and we're going to have a, a memorial tree planting um, in honor of these soldiers. I can send you all a letter about that, Douglas and Miss Bennett. Okay, and when, when are you planning the memorial tree planting? Uh, well, probably sometime in July because I want all states to because if the, the trees were giving were given by the American Forestry Association in 1920, and it's a ceremonial um, event. And depending on where you live, you plant various types of trees. And what what happened was they put the marker, a marker on each tree bearing the soldier's name, the Great War or World War One, and it has oh, it's, it's like a badge. So I called Congressman Joe Wilson today, and he's putting me in contact with a uh, person. One thing I can say, I don't identify, and I did not like for his, I did not like his comment, 
that he made disrespectfully to President Obama. But I can say when I need something, I can always count on it. It's just a phone call away, and it doesn't take long versus another congressman, one of our brothers. I don't, you don't ever get a response. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I'm pro this party because I don't look at parties. I look at the individual and their voting records and what they stand for. But I know that all at the same time for these veterans or any veteran, he's going to stand up and get the job done quick. Mm -hmm. All right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, please keep us posted about the tree planting so okay. that all of us can uh, can participate around the country and all honor right. honor our soldiers and I know that you you're on Facebook and would you tell people how they can contact you for further information you can send sometime my Facebook uh, address it'll send the messages back but I have the 371st you can contact me by mail and it's Sonia, S-O-N-Y-A, Hodges, dash Grantham, G-R-A-N-T-H-A-M. And then it's 709 Woodrow Street, 219 Columbia, Carolina, 29205, in care of the 371st Historical okay. Society. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And any closing remarks? I, I would like to have a closing comment. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Miss Bernice, for for what you do. Uh, one of the one of the bloggers mentioned uh, black officers. I want to make sure this this is cleared up. The three seventy first had all white officers. The other yes. three uh, regiments had black officers, uh, mm -hmm. and, and there's a book that I can't think of the, the, the exact title, but if you go to Amazon.com or eBay, Google the Red Hand Division, and, and there's a book that lists all the officers, all the, all the officers in those black units, and, and those officers included doctors and dentists and, the, and all. They had everything. So I just wanted to make that comment. Okay. Thank you so much. And, Sonia, any closing comments? I want to thank God for giving me the vision and the wisdom to read, document, and research my history and the role that the brave soldiers, especially World War One and Vietnam, and their roles, because those are two of the most forgotten wars in American history. And it should never be relived again that way, because they lay down their lives for us every day, and they serve our country, and they're not protected by the Constitution that like we are. So, and I want to thank you, too, for bringing the, opening the doors, giving us the keys, Douglas and I, to open the doors that have been locked for almost a hundred years. And I want to thank you because you've opened up the doors for us. And for all of the listeners, please 
let today serve as your opportunity to step back and look at World War One, to step back and look at World War Two, to look at the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and all other wars, and look at the role that was played by African Americans in those wars. Thank you so much. Well, next week, I certainly want everyone to join me because we're going to have Joseph McGill. He and others will spend the night in a slave dwelling, and we will be broadcasting from the slave dwelling. So good night, and thank you, Sonia Hodges-Grantham and Douglas Colbert. And remember, everyone, your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. Now, you can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the AfroGenius.com Facebook pages. And remember, everyone, to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday morning and Nurturing Our Roots with Antoinette Harrell on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thank you for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond, the Law Talk Radio Show. This is your host, Bernice Alexander. Good night, and I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. Good night, everyone. Good night, Dr. Good night, Sonia Hodges and Douglas Colbert. You know I want to call you doctor, but you have the doctor of knowledge. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.